0: Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. Before I read from the Bible, I want to read to you from Time Magazine. Now, I don't recommend... uh, Time for your theological enrichment, and yet uh, they have a, an article. Not sure exactly when this. This is pretty recent. It's got the new pope on the front, uh, and it says, uh, "Preach like your faith depends on it." And it's talking about, uh, of course, the the new pope. But then it also is talking about those who are evangelical, those who believe. Uh, the Bible to be the highest authority, and it says this: they feel a new urgency about their mission. Uh, because and and the article is about rather than softening the gospel message to make it more marketable, some Christian leaders argue for a double down strategy. In other words, we're not we can't soften. The gospel here, and Al Mohler, who is uh, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, one of their seminaries, says this, the evangelical movement in America in the 21st century is going to be forced back into the book of Acts. Remember, he says, the, the world of Acts, it should be recalled, was one of hostile cultural forces ferocious witness, and missionary zeal. Seminaries will spend more time teaching the ways and means of what's known as prophetic ministry, the disposition of pastors to speak out to the culture, cultural tenor of the times. And, and then later on the article, it gives a quote from G.K. Chesterton uh, that I've given to you before uh, that says, The Christian ideal... Uh, has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. May that never be the case here at St. Andrews, that the gospel be left untried. Imagine for a moment that you have been assigned to carry something that is of great value, and uh, you've been given a container to carry it in, and it is like the black box that they uh, put on airplanes. Now, the black box, as you may know, is uh, uh, it contains important information, and anytime, uh, sadly, when there's a, a crash, they will go to the site and they will find the black box because it will have survived and. Uh, the information about the flight and that type of thing will be inside that black box. I could never quite figure out why they didn't make the whole plane out of the same stuff they make the, the black box out of, but here's the point. You can, you can be hurt, uh, you can suffer, you can even die, but what you carry will be preserved. Preserved. Now put that scenario on a side burner, and let's look at our passage. Remember, last week, uh, persecution had broken out again against God's people. James had been killed. Peter was arrested. They surrounded him. They put him in prison. They chained him up. And then during, during the night, even though he was surrounded by Uh, Four squads, 16 men, and chained to two soldiers. He uh, went through two doors and uh, went to the place where God's people were praying for him. We looked at that in some depth uh, last week. And then here we have uh, the follow-up to that where he had explained what had taken place. He finally woke up. He realized it wasn't just a dream that he was really there, and he explained to the people what took place, and he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers, and uh, then he, it says he departed and went to another place, and we'll pick up with verse 18. Now, and this is in uh, Acts 12. Now, when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, He examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. This is like a different change of scene. Uh, They came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes. Remember what had just taken place. He put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And people were shouting the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down, because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, just at at first reading, this last part is just a strange scene, and yet you saw fit to preserve it so that we would hear today, read it, and study it, and therefore you've got a purpose in it. Will you teach us today what that is? And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, what we're going to see in this passage today is how people who preside in different kingdoms will see things from a different perspective. Uh, It's so obvious here, and I I think you'll see it as you go uh, through this. Those who are in the kingdom of light and in the kingdom of darkness We'll see things differently. Now, last week here in Columbia, uh, there was a big soccer tournament. All four of my children played competitive sports, and one of them played soccer year-round. And there, there are things, you know, after years and years and years of that, uh, wonderful years. One thing I can tell you, I, I can tell you a couple things about soccer. One is that other than uh, cemeteries, there's no colder or hotter place on earth than the soccer field. If you've been out there, you know that's, that's exactly right. The other thing is this, and this goes for basically all of these sports, but it's very obvious in soccer, and that is when a referee makes a call, how you view that call is directly related to which team you're rooting for, and so if you're on this side of the field and or, or this side of the field or in these bleachers and in those bleachers, uh, there will be many calls that will, will be made, and one side is saying, what, "What? are you talking about? He was, you know, he didn't do that, you know," and the other side saying, "Good call, ref, you know." Why is that? Well, because there's a different connection there, isn't there? And you see it and you're watching the exact same play and you see exactly what happened, but you see it differently because of that. And that's what we're going to see here with first what happened with, with Peter. Uh, take a look at this in terms of first how the Christ followers saw it uh, back in verse 11, I didn't read this today, but uh, it says, When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me uh, from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Now, remember, uh, he was in the room with the people that had been praying. And it says, they were, they were amazed, at this, That's their reaction after they finally believed it when they actually saw Peter, you know, when they finally let him in. Then they were amazed. And then we see in verse 17, but motioning to them with his hand to be silent, this is in that room, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison, and he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now this is James, the brother of the Lord, who evidently was already recognized as one of the leaders in the church. Why did he want James and the others to know? Well, it's the power of testimony. There you've got God's people saying, look, we've got to spread this. We've got we've to talk about it. And it's not even so much that they understood how it could have happened but what they could share was that which they knew. And that's, that's really what, what testimony is. And it's a right Christian response to seeing God work. So we see that as a, a part of uh, their response. Now, um, you know, they, they didn't know everything about it, but they made a statement of faith. Now, contrast that statement of confidence and faith and how, uh, with how unbelievers handle uh, this same situation that they really don't understand. And what you're going to see is a, a difference of mindset, but it's a different worldview as well. Don't ever get those confused. The kingdom of, of light and the kingdom of darkness are separate kingdoms. And they don't mix together. So look at how these unbelievers looked at it. Verse 18, now when the day came, this is after he got out of prison. The day comes, there was no little disturbance. That means there was a big disturbance. There was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter You see when when those outside of the kingdom have no explanation for what's taken place they got to start making up explanations they have to deal with things in some way and it's upsetting they don't have a framework for a right interpretation of the facts that are right there before them and here's why If you uh, rule out anything that you can't see, in other words, you limit the world only to that which is seen, or if you rule out the supernatural, you rule out a whole dimension of understanding the world. And that's the problem, and that's why... They're in the kingdom of darkness. And they will not have an explanation for things when they see God working. Now, not only are are there different interpretations of the situation, but there are different reactions to the situation, different viewpoints and and interpretations. And those will always lead to uh, uh, different actions or reactions. And let's look at them in reverse order. Look at what uh, the unbelievers uh, did. Verse 18, Now when the day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. There was confusion. Their world didn't have room for miracles. So they tried to come up with an explanation. But far from giving them a resolution... It just caused more confusion. And what it did is, <clears throat> it led to a, a drastic way of dealing with that situation. Verse 19 talks about that, and you can kind of break it down into two aspects. Verse 19 verse, it says, And after Herod searched for him, that was a logical thing to do, and did not find him, He examined the sentries, also logical. Let's ask them what happened. Evidently, they didn't have a a very good uh, answer. And ordered that they should be put to death. You sense any frustration there with Herod? Well, we'll put him to death. His explanation perhaps was, well, they, they, they must have done something. Now, it wasn't unusual that they would be put to death. They lost a prisoner. That, w- that would be common, and yet he, he has no explanation here. Look what he does next. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent some time there. I think an argument can be made that this is avoidance. <laughs> this is denial. I'm getting out of here. I need a vacation from all of this that's going on. Someone has to be found to blame. In his case, it was the guards. And so now he not only got into blame placing, he said, I'm out of here. I'm going to take a vacation. And get away from it. Now Caesarea was a a town that uh, had become an administrative center, really, for that part of the world. But uh, there were grand places there for him to go to. Um, So it says that he went from uh, Judea to Caesarea and stayed there for a while. And then we have this shift into what appears to be kind of a new scene. You know, he's just had this political failure in a sense. He was on a roll. He had killed James. The people were happy with that. He was going to kill Peter. He thought the people would would have been even happier with that. And then he loses the prisoner. So he makes tracks. He gets out of there. And then it says this. Now, it it talks about uh, Tyre and and Sidon. um, And this was a a part of the country that really relied upon Herod and his uh, uh, people being uh, fed by uh, that nation. And they didn't want to lose their relief program. So they came really to... Get on or stay on Herod's good side, and here's what it says happened. Verse 21: On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. Now they're wanting to get on his good side. I'm sure that they were very attentive, <laughs> you know, and you know said, "Well, this this is uh, you know this is wonderful because look what they say." And the people were shouting. The voice of a God and not a man. Here's Herod coming off a big defeat. And he kind of likes this. This is pretty good. Herod dressed in all of his finery. Apparently uh, what he was wearing, uh, according to historical things, I'm going to read you something here in a minute, uh, had silver thread in it. And so when he walked out with the sun glistening off of him and, and so on, and uh, here is, uh, are the people saying, you're, you're talking like a god and not just a mere man. What a great day for a troubled man, right? This is great. He's soaking it all in. And that's his fatal mistake. He accepted their accolades. He accepted worship as a God. Verse 23 immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down. You know, he's in his biggest moment. He's struck down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Strange. But this is an account, a historic account. This is not some fable that I've just read to you. Josephus, a historian, said this. After the completion of the third year of his reign, this is about the same incident, over the whole of Judea, Agrippa came to the city of Caesarea. Here he celebrated spectacles in honor of Caesar. On the second day of the spectacles, clad in a garment woven completely of silver so that its texture was indeed wondrous, he entered the theater at daybreak. There the silver illumined by the touch of the first rays of the sun was wondrously Radiant and by its glitter inspired fear and awe in those who gazed intently upon it. Straightway his flatterers raised their voices from various directions, though hardly for his good, addressing him as a god. The king did not rebuke them, nor did he reject their flattery as impious. But shortly thereafter, he looked up and saw an owl perched on a rope over his head. At once, recognizing this as a harbinger of woes, he felt a stab of pain in his heart. He was also gripped in his stomach by an ache, and he felt um, that, uh, an ache that he felt everywhere at once, and that was intense from the start. Now, I'm not going to tell you the medical explanation for what happened. I did just a little bit too much reading in this. And it's not the kind of thing you want to hear before lunch or after lunch, okay? But there is what many feel believe happened to him. But you know what, what what exactly happened to him in terms of medically what it was is not the point. Here's the point. Listen to what John Calvin said. This memorable story shows, as in a mirror, the end that awaits the enemies of the church. It also shows how greatly God hates pride. (laughs) What What a dramatic scene. Now, it would be easy if we weren't careful to let that overshadow what comes next. But this is the key for believers. Look at the reaction to the situation compared to the unbelievers. The Christ followers, in spite of threats, there is growth in the word. Verse 24. But the word of God increased and multiplied. What did, he say? did you catch what he said there? He didn't say the gospel increased. He didn't say the kingdom or the mission increased. He says the word of God increased and multiplied. And I'm convinced that was said for a a direct contrast to take place. Here is, one who is willing to stand and receive glory that only God should receive, and that proved to be his downfall. And here is the word of God that has been attacked because it had been preached, and it stands, the attack. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Luther said, the body they may kill, his truth abideth still. And that's what it says here. God demonstrated that it would last. And then look at verse 25 as this progresses. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. The threats, the arrests, the persecution, not only did not deter the other disciples, they just continued on. It, it is said, and I read it that way, but, I, but, I, but that's how it naturally reads. It's almost matter-factly. of it's just, it's just recorded. And they kept going, is basically what it says. The Word of God stands, and they kept on with the mission. Now, let me give you some applications. I'm going to give you one thing to never forget and one thing to remember. (laughs) Never forget, we live in a, a world of contrasting kingdoms. We don't need to forget that. There are certain things that don't make sense. And remembering which kingdom we live in will make all the difference in the world. That this kingdom is not always seen. But it's the prevailing one. And that's going to make all the difference if you can never forget that. Believers, we, we must not act like... We live in a defeated kingdom. We're some kind of a, a poor minority uh, in a kingdom. That's not the case. And then always remember. Remember the history of the opposition to the gospel. This isn't new here. And as as this article in Time says, this isn't new either. And as Al Mohler says, we we've got to go back to the book of Acts because this isn't new. Ecclesiastes was right. This goes all the way back to the, the garden, where the evil one is attempting to stamp out salvation. And he never quit. And we go all the way to the end of the Bible and we we see a scene that we didn't see we don't see until there, and that is uh it talks about. A son that's going to be born, but the bigger picture, as you back up, is there's a dragon that's waiting to devour the son. That was that was his plan all along from the kingdom of darkness. And so the church is attacked, and it's attacked with persecution. It's attacked sometimes uh, by people being martyred or tortured or beaten. It's attacked sometimes by heresy, by wrong teaching. And we've got to remember that. But if you carry the gospel, remember the black box? If you carry the gospel, they will try to take your life, and they may. Some attacks produce martyrs, but the gospel spreads. They may ridicule you. We hear now, oh, no intelligent person can believe what you believe anymore. And they may create a substitute. For some, that's some kind of a hollow, liberal theology that's just a shell of Christianity that takes out the cross and the meaning of the cross And churches that are preaching that are emptying out faster than they can ever imagine. That will be the attack. But we carry the black box. And in that is the gospel. And it cannot be destroyed. Now, that last phrase... That, again, almost seems out of place where it says, verse 25, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Who was this John Mark? Well, let's just say this. He was no Paul or Barnabas. He was not an apostle. In fact, he was just a regular young guy one with real flaws. It seems like he messed up later on on a mission trip. We'll, we'll read about that. We'll, we'll study that later on. But nonetheless, even with all those flaws, Paul later judged him to be useful again. In other words, he's an ordinary person like you and me with flaws. And we have the same assignment as he had. What we carry will increase and spread and never be stamped out. Acts 12 begins with Herod on the rampage, arresting, persecuting the church. James is killed. Peter is in prison. And it ends with Herod dead, Peter free, and the word of God triumphing what we see. Be encouraged. We are in the kingdom of victory. And here we are on Palm Sunday. To the unbeliever, to his enemies, the triumphal entry looked like a victory for Jesus. He knew different. He knew what was coming the next week. And then we move into Passion Week and the cross. To the kingdom of darkness, it looked like Jesus was defeated. Finally, he's arrested and he's killed. That will be it. but it was this week and what Jesus did that defeated death and ushered in the kingdom of light. We're going to see things differently. We are going to see things differently. But we live in the kingdom of victory. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord. We don't deserve to be in the kingdom of victory. It's not about us. We are those regular, flawed people like John Mark. And yet, by your power, the gospel, the word of God, will thrive and go forward. Thank you for that. We take no credit. We can't. You get all the glory, and you've shown us what takes place for those that would steal your glory. It's serious. May we never, may we never be in that position. But for any good thing that happens, point immediately to you and to your victory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We respond to the gospel this morning.